following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times. And all was drawn up into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived in the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel in his house, and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And that's the word of the Lord this morning. Good news, it travels fast, eh? It travels really fast. You ever had a situation like that? The news travels faster than you can tell it? I did once. I was uh, 22, 23. I uh, had just met my wife. Um, and we started dating. And I didn't tell anyone at the time, except one friend. And um, as I was telling him, I think we were in town... And it was like, as the words left my mouth, went into his ears, it was like telepathically, my whole family knew instantly that something was happening, something was up. It was just like it traveled faster than I could even get home. Good news will always do that. So, some really good news in this passage. There's a lot of good news to talk about today. And it's traveled really fast as well. Uh, it's left the towns of Caesarea and Joppa, and it's traveled all the way to Jerusalem. And it's really upset these people called the Circumcision Party. I've got to ask a question, who named this group? They're sitting around at the meeting, you say, you know, it's our first meeting, guys. I think final item on the agenda, we've got to pick a name. I've got an idea. You know, who called this name? Who, who named this group? They're not concerned about visions. They're not concerned about angelic visitations, not even concerned about people speaking in tongues, which seems to upset some people these days. You know what they're really concerned about? Peter's gone to the house of an uncircumcised man, and he's had a meal with him. 
Who cares? Honestly, who cares? What's the big deal? We had dinners for eight last night. It's like me rocking up to the door and I say, look, I'd love to come inside, guys. Can I just check one thing on the host? <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? You imagine me doing that, you know? You know or like coming back and having Ruben call me inside and say, oh, I'm, I'm not particularly happy you went to this guy's house. Did you know he's also, ooh, he's uncircumcised. I think I've said circumcised too much this morning. It's starting to get a little bit, uh, okay, sorry. Let's go a few more times. Why is it a big deal? Why do we care? Why do they care? Turns out, in the first century, circumcision was the thing that defined Jews versus Gentiles. It was kind of the badge of covenant membership. It was the badge most Jewish males would wear to say, I'm a faithful Jew. I am part of God's family. I'm an heir to the promise of Abraham. And when you think about it, look, that's the sign God gave to Abraham to confirm the covenant was circumcision, all right? It's a big deal. Now, circumcision functioned much like things like Sabbath and purity laws and kosher food laws functioned. They were badges of covenant membership. They were behaviors that said, this is how you tell I'm faithful. I'm a good Jew. I'm one of God's family. This is how you tell I do these things. So you've got this group of Gentiles here. Now they are by definition unclean because they're outside the covenant. They eat some weird food you don't eat as a Jew, you know, mostly like pork and all that. And they also, um, you know, they, sometimes they take this food and then they might sacrifice it to an idol. And that's a big deal if you're Jewish because there's only one God. We don't serve idols as, as Jews. And there's, a, there's this ancient law going on uh, in, in the old world there that when you have a meal with people, you are actually sharing spiritually with them. It's not just consuming food. And I think that's probably not too hard a concept for us to get our head around, right? Like we've all had a meal that's been more than the food, where the conversation's been good. You might be at home in a place where you let your guard and your defenses down. You, you open up to people. And, and something spiritually nourishing happens there. You know, we, we know what that's like. So you've got these circumcision believers saying, Peter, what are you doing? You're mixing with people that are, you know, sharing in idolatry. You're getting mixed up in idolatry. You're hanging around with unclean people. What are you doing? Peter, you're breaking the law. Peter, you are, you're letting the Jewish family down. What are you doing, man? It's a big deal to these guys. And it's, a big deal to them because they've got a pretty simple theology. Very, very simple. In fact, you can sum up the circumcision party's theology in two words. I'll do it for you now. Grace plus. That's it. That's their theology. Let me tell you why. These are a group of Jewish believers, Christians, right? They're not like Saul and the Pharisees trying to put Christians in jail. These are guys that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So their thinking is, yes, we have a good God in Yahweh. Yes, the Messiah has come. He has forgiven our sins. God is very gracious towards us. But I tell you, if you want to be a good Christian, if you really want to be in God's good books, and if you want to inherit the promises to Abraham, I tell you what, you need God's grace plus the law. You need God's grace plus Sabbath, plus circumcision, plus kosher food laws. You need God's grace plus something more. Now that is not a belief that we can relegate to the first century anymore. 
In fact, I think that's, that's probably one of the most common beliefs that we hold as Christians today in various forms, and it's one of the most common things that's preached out there. Let me just tell you a bit about my experience with, with Grace Plus. All right. When I was growing up, I grew up in a, in a very charismatic church. Now, if you've gone to a Pentecostal church in any shape or form, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Uh, my youth group was, was huge. There was about 300 kids that used to come at a time. And we would do things like, you know, during the worship, not like we stand still here and maybe raise our hands. We would be jumping around. We would be dancing. We'd be raising our hands, running up and down around, all sorts of stuff. When we prayed for people, they used to fall over. When we prayed for people, they'd just spontaneously break out in tongues. Um, you know, people would have like these fits of laughter as well. It was, it was all these weird and wonderful things that happened. And if you've grown up in a church like that, that's, that's good. If you haven't, you're probably looking at me as if I'm some sort of heretic this morning. Um, but it was awesome. I loved it. I loved that youth group. Uh, and, and I tell you, you couldn't keep me away from it. You could not keep me away from that youth group. I, I was there every Friday. I was part of the leadership team. I got onto the worship team. Um, I ran a life group. I, I ran a relationship building group during the year. I, I did everything I could to be a part of that youth group because God's presence was there. God was, God was there. God showed up. He poured out his spirit on there and he moved. And it was just awesome being a part of it. Now, fast forward a few years. My family decided we're going to move countries. We moved to New Zealand. And I settled into another kind of charismatic church because it felt like home. Now, what I didn't realize when I got involved in this church was that very much it was a grace plus church. And look, you know, this is not a, not a dig at that church anymore. They did lots of wonderful things. You know, but this is, this is the dominant theology that came out of there. What I mean by the grace plus there was every week, regardless of, of what was said, there was always this feeling that, and, and sometimes this explicit thing stated, you are not a good Christian unless you are tithing. You're not a good Christian unless you're wealthy because poverty is a curse. And if you've got poverty, you are not a good Christian. Clean Bible, dirty Christian sometimes. You're not a good Christian unless you come into church twice on a Sunday. And on time, you're not a good Christian unless you're reading your Bible every day. You're not a good Christian unless you are serving in one of our teams. You're not a good Christian unless you're doing... The list just goes on. On and on and on. There's always something. And I tell you, same as in my youth, I found myself very heavily committed. I was doing a lot of stuff. But I wasn't doing it because I loved Jesus. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be where God was. I was doing it because I was ashamed. I felt a lot of guilt. See, I looked at all the other people that were working hard, tithing lots, seemed to be getting wealthy, um, grow, apparently growing in their faith, um, you know, seemed to be doing really well. And I thought, you know what? I'm not as holy as them. I'm not as good as them. Gee, you know, they must be really close to God. God must actually really approve of them. More so than he does of me. Just, he can't really love me. They must be so close to God. Now, a few years later, um, I ended up moving on from that church, but I caught up with a friend who, who still went there at the time. 
And he was just really excited. Came to me and he said, I've just heard the best sermon. And I said, yeah, tell me about it. He said, uh, he said we're saved by grace alone, not by good works. I think that's my dad, by the way. <laughs> I told him he's allowed to do as many glories as he wants. He's toned it down in many years. But please, speak up, honestly. Do it. But, uh, and feel free, honestly, if you want to yell amen or glory, I grew up Pentecostal, it's fine. That's all good. Okay, you're good. Bless the Lord, brother. All right. But he said to me, he said, we're saved by grace alone, not by good works. And I said, yeah, that's the gospel, buddy. That's pretty basic. And he went, I've never heard that. I was like, how do you go to church for your whole life and never once hear that you're saved by grace alone through faith, not by good works? How do you go to church your whole life and never once hear the good news? Actually, not that uncommon. I remember my grandfather when he was, he grew up Catholic and he once went to a revival meeting and someone said, you need to believe in Jesus to be saved. He went back, the next, he gave his life to Jesus that day, went back to the priest um, of his regular church and said, I've, I've met Jesus, I've given my life to Jesus. And the guy said, ah, oh, it's just a phase, you'll grow out of it. <laughs> Surprisingly, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of things that sometimes go on in the church where we, we think there's a whole lot of other things that are the gospel, but it's, how do you go to church your whole life and not know that you, know, you are saved by God's grace alone? That's the trouble with Grace Plus, eh? That's the real trouble. Because as soon as you add anything to God's grace, you completely wipe it out. That's why I call my message today. God's grace plus nothing is everything. That's it. Preach it. Amen. Can we get an amen? Amen. amen. Yeah, there we go. God's grace plus nothing is everything. All right. Now, if you take grace plus... The opposite's true, right? God's grace plus anything is nothing. Why is that true? So I think that's true because what you end up doing and saying to God when you add anything to his grace is that what Jesus has done on the cross is not enough. Now, I'm not brave enough to stand in front of the Lord at the end of my life and say, I don't think what Jesus did was enough. But that's what we end up saying. We say that what Jesus did on the cross in forgiving our sins in making us new, in taking all the punishment that was due to us, is somehow not enough. We need to add something to that. And I think God must scratch his head sometimes and he says, you know, Paul says in Ephesians 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We lack nothing. It's like we turn around to God and say, thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't exactly make me holy enough. And God must be screaming from heaven saying, what more could make you holy than myself, my own presence? Do we need to add anything to the Holy Spirit to be holy? Absolutely not. All right, come back to the text. What was it that led Peter to this conclusion? That grace plus is the wrong way. It was a bad idea. He's just had some crazy vision. Animals coming down on, on a sheet, but I don't think that's what's given him that idea. It wasn't the fact that he had three strangers turn up at his door to confirm a vision he had. It was actually the simplest thing. Simplest thing that led Peter to the conclusion grace plus is the wrong way was that as he spoke, God poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. That's it. 
And God did that in exactly the same way he'd done to the Jewish believers at Pentecost. And you can see Peter working this, this idea out and seeing, you know, he's, this is his experience and he's working it out and going, well, I'm a Jew. I'm circumcised. I obey Sabbath. I don't eat pork. And God has gifted me the Holy Spirit. But here's this group of people who eat some strange food that I can't touch. They're not circumcised. They don't even know what the law is. But God has still given them the Holy Spirit. God's made them his people too. And he's done it apart from the law. So if they have the Holy Spirit, well, how can I impose the law on them as a Jew? If they are my, now my brothers and sisters, if we are now one family, why should they have to obey the law when God has already given them the Holy Spirit? And, and if God has declared them to be holy by gift, gifting them his own presence in their life, how can they possibly be unclean? Why should I separate myself from them? They're as holy as I am, not because of what they've done or not done, but because of God's presence, the Holy Spirit living in them. Eating with them is not going to make me unclean. They are holy because they have the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you noticed in that passage, there's um, some, some crucial little details you might easily gloss over here, but Peter really had every opportunity when retelling the story to make it a grace plus story. Chapter 10 this is when the story kind of kicks off, and chapter 11 is a retelling of chapter 10. In chapter 10, we learn all about this guy who's had the Holy Spirit fall on him. He's named. His name is Cornelius. We find out that he's a very devout man, prays to God a lot, and he's a Roman centurion, has a family, got servants in his household. We learn a lot about him. Take a guess at how much Peter retells to the circumcision group about this guy. For the tape, that's nothing. Nothing. Zero. Absolutely nothing. Doesn't mention him by name. He calls him the man. I wouldn't mind being known as the man in the Bible. That's pretty cool. Now, Peter does that, I think, deliberately. Peter's not going to go and retell the story in a way that the circumcision group will go, you know what? For all intents and purposes, he practically was a Jew. I mean, come on. He was pretty devout. You know, fine. Yeah, maybe he wasn't circumcised, but gee, he was pretty close. Um, uh, maybe I should clarify that one. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, okay. He's a really devout guy. He's pretty good. You know. Yeah, okay. God gave him the spirit because yeah, he's a pretty good guy. I think that's what happened. And then he's going to have a debate with the circumcision group and try and make it. Peter's not having any of that, and he's not also going to have a situation where Cornelius now becomes the new standard for Gentiles to come in, right? All right, fine, fine. We can have these guys come into the family. That's great. All right. But they've got to be like him or better. We're not taking anyone below him, all right? They've got to be better than Cornelius or at least the same. Peter's, Peter's not going to have a bar of this grace plus thing going on. Peter's not going to play the grace plus card to say that Gentiles need to become Jews and obey the law or be circumcised to be saved. Because in his idea, yeah, if they have the Holy Spirit... If the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, if God has seen fit to gift them with his own presence, the greatest grace we could ever hope for, 
then he has stamped them with the only badge of covenant membership that matters. His own presence is the only badge of covenant membership that matters. Let me give you a couple of ways in which we might still play the Grace Plus card today. Now, think about how we might view people in ministry, in full-time ministry. There's a tendency sometimes for us to elevate people in ministry, to put them on a pedestal, and, and to look at them as if they're just somewhat more holy than us, just a little bit, because they're doing God's work, right? They're doing holy work. So God must therefore approve of them just a little bit more than he does us. You know, you've got missionaries at the top. Wow, they're the super holy ones out on the front lines. Then you've got pastors, and you've got children's pastors, youth pastors, worship leaders who start going down the line. And then you've got just the rest of us. You know, I just work a job. Okay, I look after the kids. I stay home. I maybe am retired. I go to school or uni. But I'm just a regular Christian. I'm not quite as holy as those guys in full-time ministry. Now, if we go down that road with people in ministry, if we sit in a church and we think, gee, you know, Reuben gets up here every week and he, and he must be so holy and approved by God. The good news is, Reuben doesn't, Reuben or me or Michael, anyone in full-time ministry, we don't have Holy Spirit 2.0. It's not like you guys have got the demo version of the Holy Spirit. It's going to expire sometime. No, it's the same Holy Spirit. That's, the, that's good news, isn't it? Same Holy Spirit that's on Reuben. That's on Sam as he leads. That's on my kids. It's the same Holy Spirit. And I tell you, the good news, even better news, is that God doesn't approve of any of us on the basis of what we've done. He approves of us on the basis of what his son has done. Can I get an amen for that one? Amen. That's good news, isn't it? Because it means, you know, succeed or fail in life according to the world's standards. God looks at us on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And that's it. I have found that in my own life to be one of the most wonderful and liberating truths of the gospel. That's just good news. That's the kind of good news I want to share with someone else. Not a list of rules and regulations to say you've got to be like this and conform to all these things. No, that's good news I want to share with people. Let me give you another example. What about something like Smoking. See, I think most of us here would probably be okay. I'm making an assumption here. But most of us would probably be okay with, with having a glass of wine. I don't think we're that. I'm making a big assumption. Hey, I'm you know, expecting emails later. That's okay. Right. Um, but something like smoking is somewhere in the middle, right? So I, I find this can be another kind of grace plus, sometimes in a little bit in reverse. Now, I hate smoking. I don't smoke. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. But what I find how this works with me is that it gives me a little sense of superiority. I think I'm a little bit better than those dirty smokers out there. I mean, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you trust God to deliver you from your addictions like I do? Yeah. Makes me into this little, little superior guy here. And I start thinking, well, you know, maybe I'm just that little bit holier than these guys. You know, maybe God loves me just that little bit more than you. And you too could be like me for $9.95 a month. All right. But, you know, just hear me when I, when I say this here. Like, smoking or non-smoking, it doesn't make you any more or less acceptable to God. In fact, you and I will, will never be more or less accepted by God than we are right now. 
will never be more or less accepted by God. Because again, we, we are accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done, not on what we do. It's just such good news. You know, I think sometimes with stuff like smoking, and, and you could even take it to maybe drinking alcohol or listening to certain kinds of music and, and all of that, if we go down the Grace Plus route, route our, our posture to the world changes. Our posture towards each other changes. And the way you'll see this is, is we start to withdraw. I can't hang out with you, you're a smoker. You may not say it explicitly, but you might just start to withdraw. You might just start to stop hanging out with people like that. And, and we do that because we think, well, if we're going down the grace plus route, the only way I can be holy is to avoid things that will pollute and taint my faith. I can't hang out with you, you're going to make me unclean. I can't, I can't listen to that music, it's going to pollute my faith. I can't, I can't be around people that are like that. And we end up withdrawing and getting into smaller and smaller huddles. And I think, here's the funny thing. That's exactly what the circumcision group wanted Peter to do. How can you eat with those people, Peter? They will make you unclean. You are letting the side down. And that's the problem with Grace Plus. A lot of times I think we find it really hard to trust that God's grace is actually strong enough. Strong enough to keep people holy. That by grace alone we are saved, but also by grace alone we continue in the family. By grace alone we stay here. That it's not like, hey, grace gets you in, but works keeps you going. I think we find it hard to trust that God's grace is strong enough to never let people stray too far. We have trouble believing that God is like the one who leaves the 99 to get the one that's lost. I think one of the things I think we come up against with Grace Plus and our concerns with it and how it manifests is we think, look, all this talk about grace, we can't talk about grace too much about people in the church because it'll lead them into sin. It'll lead the congregation into sin. People will get this idea that, if God loves them no matter what, then great. Hey, let's go binge on sin. Like it's Netflix or something. But you know, if we're going to go down that route, what is, our, what is our best proposition? Because I tell you, the Holy Spirit is the best sin management program you could ever handle. Rules and regulations won't get you there. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin, convicts the world of sin and turns us to Jesus. Sends us running back into the arms of our Savior when we sin. That's the best sin management software I know of. All the rules and regulations and boundaries we might put up, you know, people can, can mimic behavior. People can do all sorts of things and, and look good on the outside, but have a corrupt and sinful heart on the inside. All the good behavior in the world is not going to change a sinner's heart. In fact, I think it's probably easier to get people to obey rules than it is to get them to give their lives to Jesus. Hmm. And just in closing, I want to tell you the story about a guy. Not a guy I know personally, but um, as a musician, I just I love talking about other musicians, and I it's just it's my life. I love reading music biographies and all that. And I came across one of a guy uh, who was in a band I used to listen to. Now, uh, imagine this guy, he, he's got dreads down to here. He's a crazy, tall, skinny, weedy kind of guy, and he plays in a metal band covered in tattoos. 
And, and if you're under 35, you might know this band called Corn. Hands up if you know. Oh, there's more than some of you are over 35. All right. All right. That's impressive. Okay. So this guy's name is Brian, Brian Head Welsh. Head is not his real middle name, it's just his, his nickname. Now, he was a founding member of this band, and they kind of a, you know, the first band of the time to start using detuned guitars and seven strings and all that kind of stuff. And they had this crazy sound, and they got crazy popular really quickly. And uh, they, they just exploded on the music scene and, and had millions of dollars pouring into their band. And they toured around the world for years, like sort of a decade of just pure touring. But in that time, um, as they started, you know, as they started this band, Brian was an absolute meth addict by the time the band got going. And as the band just kind of exploded, his addiction just went out of control. He said at one point he was on a two-year solid everyday binge on meth. And, and this band, I mean, they lived the sex, drugs, and rock and roll dream that, um, that, that you, just, you would imagine with a band like that. From 1993 to 2005. I mean, that's a, a long run to be abusing your body like that. And his life kind of came to this, this point where um, everything had spiraled out of control. His marriage had crumbled. His relations with the band had kind of crumbled. He now had a daughter he had full custody of as a meth addict because his ex-wife was an even bigger meth addict than he was. And now he had to kind of take care of him. And while everything was kind of crumbling around him, someone in his hometown invited him to church. He went and gave his life to Jesus as, as an absolute miracle. And I can kind of remember this coming out in the news, you know, around 2005 and going, wow, that's really cool. This band I listened to, finally, this one of these guys have become a Christian. And a lot of Christians in the music scene loved that story. They all rejoiced. Wow, here's this guy who's walked away from the old life. He's given it up. And in fact, he left the band after becoming a Christian. He, uh, he walked away from a $23 million record contract. I mean, that's the stuff us musos dream about happening. And he walked away from it because he loved Jesus. Gave up his myth like that. Cleaned it all out of his life. He, he, you know, if, you read it, if you get a chance, read his biography because he, he goes through some crazy experiences afterwards. And it's what it's like to be a really new Christian with, with really no foundation. It's, it's really amazing what he goes through. Now, fast forward about eight years. He's, he's been a Christian for eight years. He's tried a whole bunch of weird other business ventures. He's uh, tried his own solo records and nothing's really stuck. And he gets the sense from the Lord. It's probably time to go back to the band. And here's the funny thing. The same Christians who rejoiced that he left the band started giving them a lot of flack for doing this. How could you go back to this band? Their songs have swear words in them. They sing about bad things. How could you be a Christian in a heavy metal band? All those kind of things started coming out. And, and he got a fair amount of abuse online for it. But he, he, he actually came out and explained himself. And he said, look, here's, here's what he says. I know the music's crazy. I know the lyrics are crazy, but they're about pain. They're coming from a real and raw place, and people need hope. There are addictions like crazy in that world, and he should know. There's depression. There's a lot of suicide stories happening. What better place for me to be having the meaning of life that I carry? You know, I know the answer to the meaning of life. And I can tell you, talking about Christ is not the most popular thing you could do at a rock concert. There's a bit of a sidebar here. What he does now when he feels the Spirit move him is, you know, 
like these are bands that play things like like Victor or Spark Arena. They're not small bands. So what he will do is actually get out into the lobby of these big arenas he goes to, and he will just yell out, says, does anybody want to be prayed for? I'll pray for you right now. And crowds will gather around him, and he'll pray for them, and he will tell them about Jesus at a metal gig. You know what people are walking around with at metal gigs? Tattooed pentagrams and flaming skulls and things like that on their T-shirt. They yell at him to taunt him, hail Satan, worship Satan. But he stands there and he preaches the gospel to people at these concerts yeah, and still gets up and plays in the middle band afterwards. Huh? He says, you know, it's not the most popular thing to talk about Christ at a, at a rock concert or a metal concert. But I'm doing that because it's the most real thing that's ever happened to me. I followed God right back to Corn, and he's there and I'm not separated from him or the fans any longer. Because God says in the Bible he's going to restore all things. And God is so good, he's restored me in that way. He gives you glimpses of that by restoring your life. He's restored me in a way that is unique to me. He said uh, in a while on tour with the band, he was watching another band from the side of stage. And as he looked out over the crowd, he felt really God saying to him in his, in his heart, he said, look at all these people. These are my people, Brian, and I want them back. You know, Grace Plus says, you can't go to that group. You can't hang out with those people. They'll make you unclean. They're going to taint and pollute your faith. Grace alone says, it's the Holy Spirit that's made me clean. It's the Holy Spirit that's given me new life. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God, you are with me. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Grace alone says, God, I will trust you to keep me on the right path. You alone will keep my feet from stumbling. You will lead me in your ways. Church, let's not be a grace plus church. Let's be a grace alone church. Let's put our faith in Jesus and trust that what he's actually done on the cross is enough. That it is good news that we can give up our striving. Let's trust that if we believe in, in Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit, then we have all we need for the Christian life. Let's be a church that really lives out what I said earlier. God's grace plus nothing is everything. Amen. Shall we pray, Lord? Lord Jesus, um, I'm just in awe of you, how you went to the cross and you willingly chose that. You submitted yourself to the will of the Father. And you freely gave your life for us. He who knew no sin, not only took on our sins, but became sin. Lord, that's such a strange thing. We don't even understand what that might mean, how you could become sin. But you took on all of our sins so much that you became it. And you willingly separated yourself from the Father and endured absolute humiliation and suffering all for love's sake, all for our sake. Lord Jesus, I'm in awe of you that you've done that and you did that for me. You did that for all of us. For you so loved the world, Lord God, that you sent your only son. Lord God, I'm in awe of you because you know exactly who I am. You know exactly what I've done. You know all my thoughts before I even think them. Lord, you know all of our thoughts. You know exactly who we are. You know what we've done, what we plan to do, yet you still say, I love you. This is my son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And you say that not because of what we do, but because of what your son has done, Father God. 
Lord, would you still that in our hearts? Would that just be where we live from, that we live daily from your grace? Fill us with the Spirit, Lord, that we might have your joy overflowing in our lives, that we want to share this good news with other people, because, Lord, it is such good news. Thank you for your grace, Lord, for without it we can do nothing. It is in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.